0: From Olympic City and the home of Pike's Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show. Oh yeah, here we are rocking it on the Automotive ADHD Show. My name is Matt West, here to talk about cars. I am the host of this show, the uh, professional lip flapper, the (laughs) blabbermouth, I don't know, whatever you would like to call me, but I am the host of this show and I'm here to talk about cars. Got an amazing hacked show for you today with a special guest in the second half of the show, a 13-time Guinness World Record holder, Alistair Moffitt, is going to be joining me and uh, talking about some of his world records, how he accomplished some of them, some of his background. It's very, very cool. And uh, as a result, too, I'm also going to be uh, changing up a little bit of the format of the show. Normally, I do the show in kind of three different segments. I'm going to break that down into two. We're just going to keep it kind of nice uh short and sweet here for the first one because I want to give my guest as much time as possible. This interview is going to be fantastic. Very cool. Now, that said, I do have some other interesting things to talk about before that, uh namely uh license plates. Going to be talking about front license plates. The dreaded front plates and Perhaps a better business decision than that time last week when I recommended that everyone spend $43 billion in order to buy every Camry in existence. I know, you can tune into this show for really sound financial advice. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Are you okay? I, I I hope that's what you're tuning into this show for, because uh, you know that's uh, that's what we do. That's what we do. No, that said, I, I want to just dive straight into that in the in the uh, spirit of moving quickly through things, ladies, gentlemen, Toyota stores. Um, let's talk about a financial decision that I think is is very good, which is that uh, for sale is the absolute treasure trove of Honda parts for any Honda fan. Uh, and this is amazing. So it, uh, it comes from a dealership in Jor uh, in the country of Jordan. Uh, and, uh, it's a, uh, it's a warehouse full of Honda parts dating back from 1974 all the way to 2015. And apparently the story goes, there is a, uh, there was a Honda dealership there in the country of Jordan, uh, that, uh, went out of business, they closed up shop, and in said uh, dealership, they had a warehouse, though. The dealership dated back all the way to the 70s, and they had a warehouse full of parts that they have just kept on hand uh, for a tremendously long time, not selling them. Everything from brand new OEM doors, bumpers, to transmissions, engines, seals, gaskets, all the nitty gritty little stuff and it's all well organized in this uh, warehouse and just sitting there in jordan and uh this is uh this is really interesting because i mean when you think of it the the possibilities are just endless for these parts you know and this can cover any honda fan me like in you know s2000s and things like that all the way to people rebuilding classic you know First-generation Civics could could make use of this. Now, the reason I'm telling you about this is this um, warehouse full of parts is for sale. <laughs> yes, here we go. Uh, they are asking $1.75 million as the uh, Buy It Now price on uh, eBay. And I, I should disclose, if you go to this eBay listing now, uh, apparently... Uh, there were some issues with the listing. Uh, perhaps asking that much money on eBay, I'm not sure. Um, there was an error when you go to it right now because I was like, "Oh come on, I, I got to go bid on this. I don't even care if, I, <laughs> if I've got the money. Let's just see what happens." And currently, the bidding is closed, and they haven't sold it yet, so it's a little weird. Um, and they did—they are including shipping, by the way. I'm looking at this uh, this parts listing. It's on eBay. It says Honda rare parts lot. And uh, going into some of the details, again, it's incredible. Also, not every day you find an eBay listing with a buy-it-now price of $1.75 million, But they are including shipping. So, uh, <laughs> hey, that's, uh, that's good. Uh, by the way, the shipping, the flat rate, it says flat rate shipping. Yeah, $50,000. I'm sure that's legitimately what it would cost to box all of this stuff up, put it in some shipping containers... And freight it over uh, to wherever, whichever country you live in. Uh, and uh, obviously, you would want to avoid uh, certain shipping containers and ships, you know, that are known for sinking. <laughs> um, the uh, the Felicity Ace of <laughs> a couple months ago, with all those cars that sank. That would be tragic to lose this sort of treasure trove of uh, of Honda parts. And uh, but yeah, they uh, they they. This is just cool. Like there's tons of parts. Uh, it says uh, 76% of the parts are uh, 1974 to the model year 2000, and 24% of the parts are 2001 to 2015. Now, see, this is where the astute businessman in me comes out and says, yes, Honda parts, good. But think of it this way, right? Like, I just need some, you know, miscellaneous parts here and there for an S2000 and, you know, some stuff to sell to my buddies with Civics. And that, that's all I need, the rest of it. Holy cow, I mean, you could... You could sell this. You could sell, you you could make a whole business selling vintage Honda parts, and you could probably run a business doing this for several years before you ran out of money, or ran out of, not money. (laughs) Hopefully you don't run out of money doing this. That's the, that's not the goal you want, but before you run out of parts, and um, I mean, imagine, you know, throwing 1.75 million in there, that breaks down to a, uh, with all the parts, considering how many there are, that is an average of about $19 a part. And so that's $19 a part average. doesn't matter if it's a, a panel clip and a connector or an entire door or an entire subframe for a, a Civic. It's 19 bucks. So uh, and I guarantee if you were selling this stuff, you could, you know, sell it for a lot more than $19 a part. In fact, I'm damn sure you would be selling it for more than $19 a part. Uh, and especially some of these vintage parts, you know, you can't underestimate the price of... Vintage parts, and it's also, it's kind of hard to price them initially. But the fact is, hey, you want a smart business decision? Here we go. Buy all of these Honda parts. Be the king. You would be the 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 dawn of <laughs> of Honda parts. I don't know. That would that would be kind of cool. Um, if only I had one point seven five million cash sitting in my bank account. You know how I would be spending it just saying. If now that said, if you do go the route that I talked about on last week's show of buying every single Toyota Camry that exists and you have a, a few million left over, you know, I think the math we did it, it was uh there's, there's a there's going to be a little left over. You could buy that and you could buy all these Toyota parts or sorry, Honda parts I should say. And uh I think you would be a happy person. Every Camry in the world, boatload of Honda parts. I mean, yeah, you can't use the Honda parts for the for the Camry. Now, if only there was a similar uh, lot of parts like this for sale that were Toyota parts, then you could also maintain your your fleet of Camrys. So, yeah, again, here you go. You don't, you don't go to you know Wall Street for fine business decisions. You don't listen to Elon Musk. This is why you listen to <laughs> this show. So, anyway, now, another topic I want to get on to real quick here before my uh, guest here coming up in the second half of the show, and, again, my guest is going to be uh, 13-time Guinness World Record holder Alistair Moffitt. Uh But, uh, no, another thing is license plates. And me as a car enthusiast, and perhaps you, uh, all share the collective opinion that front license plates are the worst thing in existence. The front of cars was front of cars were not designed with the notion of license plates in mind and even cars that had them integrated, no, it just doesn't it doesn't work. You ask any car enthusiast, does the car look better with the front plate or without the front plate? It always looks better without. I mean, this is just a universal fact fight me. But that said, uh, I have to give a uh, hat tip to uh, Rob Stumpf of The Drive, who did some investigative journalism here and decided to look into the states that in in the United States that require front license plates and the states that do not. Now, some of this may not be entirely relevant to uh, friends of the show living in Europe and other places where you just have to have front plates. And And I'm sorry, I, I uh, you have my condolences. But here in the United States, there is a stiff battle for front plate or no front plate. And again, you know where I stand on this uh, on this debate. Now, obviously, officially, I can't recommend legally that you don't run a front plate because that is a crime if you live in a place that requires it. But um, you know my opinion on this, regardless. And uh, the state I'm in, Colorado, does require two license plates, one on the front, one on the back. But there are a good chunk of states uh, that do not uh... for instance uh... arizona being one of those uh, louisiana uh, florida uh... you know there's a there's a good chunk of them and uh... and the thing is in the states where there are no front plates there's an interesting political campaign going on and i know i usually shy away from politics on this show unless it is explicitly related to um, something happening uh... in the automotive sector and uh... but there is a political campaign going on uh, to promote the use of front license plates. Now, uh, Rob at the drive, he he said, you know, this is interesting. Who is the proponent behind all this political lobbying for front license plates? You know, no one is sitting there. No car owner sits there and thinks to themselves, oh, yes, the I really wish I had a front license plate. But yet here's this lobbying. And it turns out one of the major companies behind said lobbying is three M. now 3M is a major manufacturer of all sorts of things from from stickers to adhesive to gaskets to uh, safety equipment to military equipment 3M is a massive massive company and they even make vinyl wrap products when you wrap your car uh, you know but probably you know 30 40 percent of the time the vinyl that the car' is being wrapped in uh, is made by 3M. Uh, You also have Avery Dennison as a competitive manufacturer doing that. But the point is 3M is a a gigantic company. You know, they don't just make stickers. I mean, they make everything, including, get this, license plates. Yeah, and uh, more specifically, they, they make the plates, but they also make the reflective material that gets painted onto the plates in a way, and they stamp them, and they do all this stuff, and they make some of the equipment that the plates are made with. So they're not always making plates in a lot of cases they're making equipment that's being sold to the states in order to make the plates and they're making the supplies in order to do it Uh, but having said that they have this huge campaign going on for front plates and I'm gonna look through they have a cute little sales flyer about this and and we're gonna look at some of their arguments to be a fair person uh, it is just as a talk show host it is just my duty to provide you both both sides of this and they say you know, they, they, they say some of the benefits are uh, enforcing tolls and parking, enforcing vehicle registration, crime apprehension, and national security. They say are the uh, benefits of uh, license plates and also vehicle identification. Uh, and 19 states, by the way, currently they say uh, only have one plate. So they're really they're really going for the states that don't have. Uh, requirement for a second front license plate which gosh oh there can there possibly cannot be a conflict of interest uh, with a company that makes license plates trying to pass laws that require you to have not one but two <laughs> license plates. It's a very easy way to literally just double your sales figures but um, they say there are two uh, 270 million registered vehicles in the United States which I'm not going to argue that fact that is uh, from the U uh, S department of transportation. Uh, that is a statistic from them and that 19 States do not require plates on the front. Now they say, and I will, I'll uh, break breaking down some of their reasons for front plates. Like one, one thing they made a, uh, as an argument is having reflectivity at night. If you've got a stalled vehicle on the road and perhaps it doesn't have uh, power, doesn't have electricity, So you don't have even the hazard flashers running. It's just an abandoned vehicle. Having a reflective front license plate on it can totally help uh, motorists see it. But more often than not, those motorists who are going to be coming up on it are going to be coming up on it from behind if it's stalled and you're traveling in the same direction. So then the rear plate usually covers that. Um, And then when it comes to crime apprehension, they say that And here's another statistic from them, that criminal apprehension, they say, works better with two license plates, uh, citing that 70% of all serious crimes involve a motor vehicle. Well, here's the thing. When you have a bad guy who is stealing things and using a getaway vehicle, when was the last time bad guys said, oh, yeah, the law says I must run two license plates? so I better make sure I'm running two plates while I'm committing this crime because, you know, I want to make sure I'm on the, uh, the up and up with uh, my vehicle registration. <laughs> no, of course not. Criminals don't do that. In fact, you know, I talked um, uh, a couple months ago on the show about how my mother had her catalytic converter stolen right in front of her house, and uh, that's one of those things that, it, you know, the, the guy who actually stole the catalytic converter, caught him on security camera and everything, well, guess what he didn't have? He just didn't have license plates. A front license plate would have done literally nothing to identify and apprehend this criminal because he wasn't running a rear plate either. No, of course, you're committing a crime. Why would you have something so identifiable as a license plate? So 3M, in their political lobbying, using this as a talking point, saying that, yes, front plates truly help with crime, I'm sure it helps with very minor instances of crime and perhaps when vehicles are stolen from law-abiding citizens who have front license plates i'm sure that helps but using that as an excuse saying that this will help us identify criminals and getaway vehicles no they don't run front plates like they're already committing one crime what's to say that they're law-abiding enough to make sure their vehicle is registered and that they're running the required two license plates So I have to I have to disagree with uh, 3M on this. And uh, again, I live in a state that requires two license plates. And that is one unfortunate fact of living in the beautiful state of Colorado in the shadow of Pikes Peak. I'm looking at it out my window right now as I'm uh, doing the show here. And of course, you know, we have the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. and We have some cool stuff that goes on in the automotive world here. Uh, the, The one drawback. Yeah, they they front plates, and I will admit, you know, hey, I'll I'll admit it right here, publicly on the show. I have been known in the past to not run a front plate, and when I have been occasionally stopped by a police officer, sometimes the front plate is is a question of, hey, where's your. Uh, where's your front plate? And uh, then you find me quickly scrambling to throw it up on the windshield or something and keep it under the seat or it's rolling around somewhere. I don't know. So yeah, again, you know, I I can't officially recommend that you break the law and that you should absolutely follow it. But like when it comes to front plates, can we be, I don't know, it's just, yeah, there are some valid reasons why they are relevant. Again, you know, when it comes to uh, you know, when, when it comes to being reflective at night, that's very helpful. Uh, but the other conflict of interest here that, uh, Rob at the drive pointed, uh, to was that 3M manufactures the same license plate reading systems that the police use. And, you know, police in all major cities now, at least here in the U.S., more often than not, are using automated license plate readers. You see the cameras on the side of the patrol cars, these little, little, uh, kind of, nodes, these little modules sitting on the corners of the car, a lot of times those are not necessarily the radar equipment. Some of them are, but a lot of times those are cameras that automatically read license plates. And as a police officer is driving down the road, and the thing is the license plate reader is just scanning license plates constantly and just tallying up which ones it sees. And they use this for statistics, and they use this for other things. And sure, it might help occasionally find a stolen vehicle, but again, when was the last time a criminal stole a car and left The license plate on it you have to be a numbskull of a criminal to do that and more often than not they don't the criminals are are you know we i i don't want to give the criminals credit but more often than not they're they're smart enough to know to take the plates off that's a pretty obvious one uh so having said that 3m makes the license plates they make the equipment that makes the license plates that also is sold to states and they make the equipment that is sold to police that scans the license plates. Again, I'm not trying to point any fingers here, but when they throw a heavy, heavy amount of advertising and lobbying at states that don't require two license plates, it makes you raise an eyebrow at the very least. Though That said, again, I, I, we, we can defeat all of these arguments simply as an auto enthusiast. Well, I don't like how they look. <laughs> that's not a very sound argument. I know, I know, I know. But but it's uh, it's very true. From a you know like when was the last time you looked at a front license plate on a Ferrari and said, "Gosh, that's a good looking plate with a Ferrari stuck to it"? No, <laughs> it doesn't happen unless you're in Dubai. Oh, that's that is one exception. In Dubai, they have auctions for license plates, um, and very rare. And special custom license plates. In fact, there was one that sold for another couple, I, mean, I think it was $9 million earlier this week. And I, I mentioned it on a previous show a little while back as well about how one guy owns the most expensive license plate ever. And it's like the, le- it's the letter five, <laughs> right? There we go. Hold on. The number five, of course, the letter five. Okay. Come on. I, I haven't, I clearly haven't had enough coffee going into this, but uh, yeah, there we go. The letter five. <laughs> so uh, anyway, front plate to front plate or not to front plate. That is the question. Let me know your thoughts. Now, I don't want to wait any longer getting to my special guest, Alistair Moffitt, 13-time Guinness World Record holder for precision driving, is joining me right after the break.
1: At the Speed Council, getting things done fast is our priority. We do everything fast, from driving, (laughs) working, sleeping, and eating.
0: Someone help, he's choking.
1: This is Tim. Hello. And by the time this ad is over, he'll have bicycled across the earth 69 times. Nice. Even if our name sounds unfamiliar, you know our work. F1? Pfft, child's play. The world's first supersonic jet? yep, that was us. Apollo 11? Also us. The fastest animal in the sea? Hell, we even wrote the Wikipedia article. Fast. And we're so dedicated to speed that we've genetically engineered the world's first hyperspeed speed machine. With this scientific breakthrough, you can download your favorite automotive podcast a whole day early. How's that for fast? patreon.com slash throttle warrior donate now download the show early and receive special perks this message approved by the speed council and the church of past
0: oh yeah there we go we are rocking it on the automotive adhd show that car sound is courtesy of listener brad stapp that is his 1964 Mercury Breezeway at the drag strip racing his buddy in his 1964 Mercury Marauder. Two hot rods racing at the drag strip. How cool is that? Those Mercury's, by the way, they look incredible. The cars of the 60s, man. Oh, my gosh. The styling is just absurd. I love it. Now, that said, if you have car sounds you want to share, you can share those and be entered for a chance to win the automotive ADHD keychain. I've got a Got one of those sitting here on the desk. It tells your uh, friends you have questionable tastes in podcasts. Uh, And it's also a uh, convenient keychain. So, dual-purpose item right there. You also get a $25 gift certificate to your favorite parts store. Send those car sounds in to Matt at ThrottleWarrior.com or post them on the Facebook page, Facebook.com slash ADHD. Now, I don't want to wait Any longer getting to my next guest. His name is Alistair Moffat, and he has 13 Guinness World Records for incredible feats of precision driving. His stunt driving work has been seen on television and movies, having worked as well with the BBC, National Geographic, and countless auto manufacturers. And now he is on my very humble podcast and radio show. Alistair, thank you for joining me on the show.
2: Hi, Matt. Uh, Nice to speak to you uh, here from England.
0: So, before we we talk about your records, which are uh, extensive, um, let's get into your uh, background. As I understand, so you started out in doing a lot of uh, motorsports, but just walk me through a little bit of your background, where you came from, and how that has now transformed over the years to you having 13 current, I should add, current uh, Guinness World Records.
2: Yeah, so I started really young. I did the normal thing um at- at age of 10 went into go-karts and then uh, as soon as I could get into uh, an actual car uh, there's a sport over here called auto testing um, I think it's called in in the States with you possibly um, slaloms um, and it incorporates forward and reverse driving against the clock a start and a finish gate and you've basically got to do um Cover that ground as fast as possible, and uh, so I entered that when I was at sixteen, and um, managed to win the British Championship at that uh, seven times. And uh, so uh, that's my sort of background with that, and done other stuff, car trials, and hill climbs, and sprints, and and a, a bit of an all rounder at sort of anything with a wheel. I'll have a go at trying to drive it as fast or as hard as possible, really. So, uh, um, um, and then it sort of led into. Uh, I got asked to do some displays um, uh, with the uh, with the auto testing when I was quite young, and uh, moved on from there. Really,
0: wow, very cool! And uh, yeah, here I, I believe we'll we call that usually I think autocross now, uh, and it's uh, you got a big course with a lot of cones, and that's perhaps one of the friendliest ways to start into any sort of performance driving. I would say. Um, and uh, it's it's very cool. We even I, I've gone to some of the events here, and I mean there are kids out there who are. 16. So starting out a lot like a lot like you did. Um, now looking at just a, a few of your records: um, tightest forward parallel park, narrowest gap driven on two wheels, uh, tightest 360 degree spin in a car, and tightest triple forward parallel park. I, I triple forward. I, I'm pretty sure that wasn't on the driving exam when I took it. But which, uh, what challenge or which which record would you say uh, was the most challenging?
2: Uh, the most challenging record that we've done is um, uh, the, the narrowest gap driven through on two wheels by two cars. So we had to actually, uh, my brother had to learn how to do, drive on two wheels. I previously learned, uh, and uh, we had to get two minis through a gap at exactly the same time on two wheels and uh, it was it was so tight it was just unbelievable he's his wheel was in front of my windscreen as we went through through the gap it was that tight um and obviously it's it's very it's very easy when a car's on the ground to be that precise but when you're actually trying to balance something at the same time you do have a element of sway in in the car and how it's reacting so it, it was a bit of a synchronized sort of sway of the cars as it went through the gap and uh, uh that was by far the hardest challenge we've, we've, we've i've had to do so it was it, it set, the level of uh of achievement was immense so
0: Wow. And again, it's incredible. And when you look at some of those achievements, you know, and I, I was just looking through some of the the world records you have and it's, you look at that and you go, how, how is that even possible? And also like when you, um, when you talk to the guys, I'm, I'm sure when you call up the folks at Guinness and they, they go, wait, you're going to do what with the car?
2: (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, the, very few of the records are, are, are new, so they're, they're all uh, current records. So there is guidelines and they can um, to actually achieve that record. And that, like so for example, the forward parallel park. I mean, that's uh, that is designed originally in the wording for that for um, parking alongside, pulling alongside a car and then reversing into the space. And then it moved on that it got so tight that that was unachievable. So then they allowed you to have a run-up at it and actually handbrake it into the space at about 30 or 40 mile an hour. Um, so uh, that record has been on a world tour. Um, I've lost that record about three times to either there was a couple of guys in China and a, and a guy in Germany were determined to prevent me from... Uh, actually holding that record for more than about three or four months. Um, But I've got the record down to 7.5 centimetres, which is sort of a cross diagonal of a post-it note, um, slightly less than that. Um, And that's combined front and rear gap. And uh, that record has stood for the longest it's ever stood for now. So since about uh, 2015, I think it was. So, uh, yeah, so it's got... With every world record, it gets to the point where... uh, if you win a World Rally Championship or Formula One Championship or a NASCAR or something like that, you only have to be the best that year. But to do a world record, nobody has ever done it tighter, faster, or, or harder in, in the history of that record. So, uh, so somebody will have to have to pull out all the stops to try and beat that 7.5 centimeters it's uh it was a it was a big challenge to get it and uh they will uh they will they will struggle
0: right right and when you're when you're doing these records as well or or when you're looking for for other records do you see guys who do a record and say oh you know i think i i can beat that as well what's what's sort of the thought process that goes into when you when you find a record like that to maybe beat
2: um i mean obviously uh, there's a lot of practice goes into some of them, you know, that a two wheeling it's not, not a natural, not naturally something that you learn in your driving test or something like that, you know? Uh, um, so to actually achieve some of them, a lot of practice goes in, goes into it. Um, the thought process is that, um, I'm as good as anyone else. So why would I not be able to do it better? So, uh, and you've got to go into the mindset that, uh, that is the case. And, uh, you know, I've got quite a well. I've got quite quite a good skill set at driving in precision. You know, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily the best at driving at two hundred mile an hour around Indy five hundred. You know, that's that's not my skill set minus precision and down to the centimeter, down to the millimeter, uh, precision driving. So uh, um, you uh, you uh, basically concentrate on what you're good at and uh, that's what i excel at so uh, i'll keep on doing those records and i don't think i'll go for the speed records i don't think
0: <laughs> <laughs> i i'd say the speed records are a little more hazardous too in in case if you're practicing and uh, heaven forbid something goes wrong so or just a tiny bit more hazardous now when you when you do these records so sometimes you know I, and I've been watching a bunch of them sometimes it's at an airstrip with a you know television crew and Guinness comes out there and other times you've done this in front of you know in an arena with with spectators and and people and uh, you know what what goes through your mind when you're you know at behind the wheel you're behind the wheel of the car you're ready to go everyone's rolling you know do you, do you ever get the nerves when you're going into it
2: uh, yeah, you, you do. Um, I mean, but the, the motorsport kicks in then, really, The um, being able to cope with the pressure and actually still being able to pull off a, a decent result. That's that's what motorsport has done the most. A lot of the other people that have have done these records uh, uh, have learned a process to actually, you know, the car, if you look at the, the marks of the car on some of the on stuff on YouTube, the car is... They just drive in, you know, five hundred times into a space and, and, and get a process down to it. But when it comes to the pressure and actually achieving it, uh, you, yeah, you need to you need to have, you have to step step the game up and uh, the motorsport and and that is actually that's that's the biggest thing that I've taken from
1: from
0: that. Okay, and, and and that's why you're a professional at it as well. Very, very cool. Now, again, my guest is precision driving world record holder, Alistair Moffat, and uh, Alistair. So you you also operate a company called Stunt Drive UK. Now, I would uh, I would assume b- by the name that it involves stunt driving, but you also told me before we uh, uh, before the show here that it was the first stunt driving company of its kind in the UK. What what sort of stuff do you guys do?
2: Uh, so we just uh, teach teach um people that just want to come on a, like an experience day or anything from that through to we've st- taught stunt men and women from all over the world. so uh, from Australia and China have come to us to to learn some of the tricks of the trade really. so um, so we do handbrake turns, the parallel park um, and j turns, and we also have got a classic mini which has got a stabiliser, much the same as you have when you are learning how to ride a bike on the side of it. And uh, that allows um, us to teach the general public how to actually uh, give them the sensation of actually driving a car on two wheels. So the car will go up to over 45 degrees and uh, quite safely because it's got a stabiliser to stop it going over any further. And uh, yeah, so it's a it's a great day out and a bit of, it's a good fix for any adrenaline junkie that... Uh, Uh, wants to
0: have a go at it really wow that is very cool because that's one thing that i think of when when i see precision driving or when you see the guys on um for instance television ads you know and maybe in a mercedes commercial swinging a car around or doing some sort of stunt driving you know the 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 question at least to me always being at least a car guy has always been you know oh gosh how do you get into that like i can go to the the you know local track and you know, spend a few bucks and go do an open lapping day. I can go do a rally event. But like when you get to that, that professional level, I mean, you know, things are a a little different and it sounds like your company is kind of able to at least provide a little, a little bit of a gateway into, to people getting into that. Now where, uh, for someone who would be interested in doing more stunt driving, precision driving, you know, where's, uh where's the next step would you say from you know just being an enthusiast to actually going out and doing it and you know learning from professionals
2: I mean it, so you you've got to uh, obviously have a, a decent skill set so uh, uh most of the stunt men and women within the UK that actually uh are on there's a register for that and to be on that you've got to be at a certain level in certain characteristics of uh, uh of sport so uh so you've got to be a high level at, of of the motorsport a high level of um you've got to have a martial art a couple of martial arts in there and um so it's you've got to be a a, a finely tuned athlete in good at most stuff really so um so that's uh that's to get onto the stunt register in that so uh it uh it does involve a lot of commitment and work. It's not something that uh, you can just say, oh, "I'm good at driving a car," and uh, I'm or uh, you know willing to take the risk in that. Um, it's to enable you to uh, be able to absorb impacts and uh, stunts, and that. It's not something particularly that I'm exceptionally uh, keen on doing, and uh, I wouldn't uh, necessarily want to drive off a perfectly decent bridge in a car. It's. Uh, I, that's not something I, my skill set lends itself to is more precision driving, really. Right. I, quite, I quite like, I, I've got no desire to be uh, cannoned, uh, cannoned off a of Grand Canyon or anything like that, you know. It's, uh, so uh, I'll, I'll stick to my precision sort of stuff and uh, and uh, let uh, let some of the others have a, a go at all, all the martial arts stuff and that
0: very cool very cool and it, and it you know and it's amazing to see how you you create a, a career out of uh you know precision driving and master it to the the 10th degree now that's that's very to me at least very cool and, and uh, uh very inspirational now looking through your website stuntdriveuk.com I I noticed on a lot of the things just just a side question but i notice you got a whole fleet of minis i see a lot of minis now is there a certain choice platform you look to uh when you're when you're doing some of this um precision driving
2: okay so the so the reason we've um we've picked the uh the mini for for our stunt driving experience days is uh just purely and simply it's iconic it's the car that people love to drive and uh the italian job really is, is is the key thing the red white and blue mini and um it, it puts a smile on their face just looking at looking at the car let alone actually uh, driving it so uh the car is exceptionally good um it's it's basically a box um and uh, it, it it's very easy to actually achieve all the stunt. well i wouldn't say it's easy but it, it it's easier to do it with a with a classic car without any of the aids of abs and traction control and all the stuff that i hate and have to disconnect if ever i want to have any fun in the car <laughs> so, uh, so we go back to basics of a, a car with no aids that's 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 the key thing with that car so yeah
0: awesome awesome and, and you're right it absolutely is iconic and when you when you look at your your website there stunt drive uk and it's got minis on the front when i think of you know, small, nimble, you know, uh, uh, British cars. I mean, Mini, right there. That's that's first and, and foremost. Uh, now, you've got a low, You've got loads of accomplishments in your, your name already. But is there anything on your radar, um, you know, be it records, be it uh, motorsports or, uh, you know, more stunt driving, precision driving? Is there anything that you haven't done yet that you're looking to do?
2: Oh, there's always there's always another goal. Uh, records. There is one particular one I'd like to go, it's not, it it would be a, if you, you must have seen the reverse, or if, sorry, your viewers or listeners might not have have seen it, but the Titus reverse parallel park, which was a white mini reversing flat out across a car park at uh, 40 mile an hour, and then it does a J turn, and then into a parallel parking space, all in one movement, that's my most iconic world record and uh that that took some learning and practicing that i'd like to try and actually put another element to that uh that record and make it even even harder than what it was so um we're, we're, that's the record i'd like to try and uh, do actually get another bit of a spin into that or something so uh to make it even harder because it was hard enough as it was i was gonna
0: say i mean it's already pretty difficult and you're saying now let's let's make it harder now let's make it harder. Yeah,
2: well that's it so um uh, the, as i said most of the that was a record which i took off uh, another couple of guys and they, they bowed down to that one again so uh um so we might have to make it a little bit harder but that record um uh, the key thing that the, the you say about the minis and that uh, the reason I've, I used a mini on that it's uh, it's interesting to know that a classic mini will do three mile an hour faster in reverse gear than it will in first gear so that's why I picked that it's it's got the highest top speed in reverse gear that I can find so uh, and that's what you needed to get into that space so
0: really I is, yeah. at least c- coming from my background I never knew that about the uh, the minis and then that kind of ties into why, you know, it's like, well, the Mini, you used it for this reason, and this is why you did it, and that's that's super cool. That is fascinating. Yeah.
2: So with that record as well, we only had a, a few attempts. The one thing we did, uh, we did uh, try and uh, um, sort it out, but uh, it was something which was slightly overlooked, that the sheer speed that it was going at, um, the engine got zero cooling because of the, um, because of the, it's not designed to go backwards at that speed, so you only got about three attempts at that record before you had to let the engine cool for about fifteen minutes to twenty minutes because it was at, you could fry an egg on it. It was that hot, um, and we tried ducting it air into it, but um, it hadn't uh, it hadn't really solved the issue. So, uh, so that was that was achieved within uh, two attempts, and I only had one left before I had to have a half an hour tea break. So. <laughs> <that> was- <laughs> so it was the pressure was on to achieve it and uh it it was and that that was that was in front of the world's world stage as well so um it was yeah really cool
0: wow wow and yeah that's another case i would have never thought that that's a factor you have to consider when driving in reverse is that well the radiator's in the front of the car and Mm -hmm. uh and, and it also just goes to point out too that you're you're doing these records with uh, otherwise, fairly unmodified cars. They're not drastically modified. You know, they're don't, they're not modified to be suddenly mid-engined in order to do it. I mean, it's a you know, it, it's a average car at the end of the day that you know you're you're doing these uh, feats of precision driving in, uh, which is incredible
2: yeah so i mean if you look at the the films nowadays um i mean if you look at the old james bond films and you know the cars are actually doing the stunts for real you know the corkscrew jump and the two-wheeling and all that and nowadays they just tend to put stabilizers on it or cgi it in and um you know so the cars don't actually have to achieve a great lot really so it's nice to actually go back to basics and uh sit there with a pen and paper and work out the physics and see if it's possible to even achieve it um, in a car with no aids and no supports. And uh, it, uh, it is it's a great uh, achievement um, or sense of achievement when you, you actually achieve it in something which was never designed to even do half of the stuff that you do with it.
0: Right, right. Now, uh, and are there any uh, any sort of, um, you, you mentioned like, uh, you know, old James Bond films there. Are there any sort of like inspirations that you look at like that, that maybe kind of at least get the gears turning in your head about ideas and things to do and things like that?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of the TV, TV ads and stuff like that, it's, it's quite interesting what people actually think of um, with actual stunts and even CGI in it um and actually achieve, not actually doing it, but doing it with CGI. And is 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 that even possible to do that with a car? And some of it is, and some of it obviously isn't, you know, uh, but uh, there's there's a few TV adverts over here in the UK at the minute, which are going around, which uh, I think could actually be achieved with, with a car with a bit of effort. So we might try and have a go at some, some of those, I think.
0: Wow. Perhaps a, uh, perhaps another world record in, in the future as well.
2: Uh, yes, I, I think so. So, um, obviously the, the world sort of came to a halt for a couple of years and, uh, um, I, I need, I need a bit more seat time really to, uh, to get match fit. We've not been able to drive anywhere over here in the UK for a lot of that sort of thing. We've been sort of, uh, so uh, I, I've started back on the motorsport uh, this year and it's going okay. So that normally gets me back up to speed pretty quick. So uh, I think about another half a season of this. So uh, And we'll see if we can get something going by the end of the year, maybe for a world record around November time is my aim. Because um, uh, they do a Guinness World Record day in November, you see, and uh, I'll, I'll try and get a record for that day. So uh, what they do is they do a World world tour. It starts in Australia and somebody does a a world record in Australia and it works its way across the country. Uh, And I've represented England on, which was my reverse parallel park on the November date before, and then it carries on around. So it's, so they get a record in each country on the way around on the timeline. So it's quite a clever thing.
0: Wow. That, that, that is. And uh, that gives, I think a lot of folks an opportunity to get in there and, and do something at least instead of having to I don't know. Probably saves Guinness the trouble too of go flying out to each record holder every time. <laughs>
2: uh, I, I got done that I was—I thought mine was the most iconic that year. Until we got to to the states, and you've got um, a bulldog over there that uh, can skateboard, and it went underneath twenty-five people's legs w- with them open, and that—that that just made it onto every newspaper over here, and and the TV, and all that. So uh, we, we got inked done by a, a dog on a skateboard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man well hey that's one way to uh to set the uh bar gotta gotta beat that pesky dog for the uh, guinness world Records. so alistair really appreciate it i want to thank you for uh joining me on the show today
2: okay thanks matt and uh everybody drive safely and don't don't try and copy me.
0: <laughs> Don't try this at home. There, you, there, you go. Do it on a on a nice, well-sanctioned racetrack at the very yeah. least.
2: Or I never told you to do it. That's the other one. Yeah.
0: Right. Right. You didn't hear it. You <laughs> didn't hear it from Alistair's. So. Yeah there we go Alistair Moffat, 13-time Guinness world record holder for precision driving I want to thank him of course for joining me on the show and thank you for listening to this very very special edition of the automotive ADHD show now of course if you want to be involved with the show if you've got car sounds you'd like to share you can do that you can also send your thoughts into the Facebook page facebook.com automotive ADHD and of course I want to thank the patreon subscribers for making this show a possibility and allowing me to take the time and do interviews with amazing people like alistair and of course for supporting the uh, the speed council so there you go now i will see you same time same place next week when i team up with john candy and travel the stars in a flying winnebago i'll see you then